Stay tuned for chapter 112 of Will Mike Get a Smartphone or Die First? Smartphones or die. I um, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on me getting a smartphone. I mean, this is inside information from the person himself. I would I would not bet on me getting a smartphone um, unless I absolutely need it for some medical reason. Unless there's some actual life emergency that I need it for, I doubt I'll get it. Uh, plenty of reasons for that, but I mean, after all, I mean, everybody I know except my wife, actually. Uh, my wife and I, I think she would get one. <clears throat> it's, my, it's my restraining, conservative, uh, lack of adventurous interest in things. Um, if, she, if I wasn't around, she'd probably wind up getting a smartphone. Uh, she has um, 
a Kindle Fire, I think that's what it's called, which is a sort of a little, like a little computer. I guess you know what it is, right? You you all know this stuff that I don't know. It's uh, not an iPad, but it's um, it does a lot of things that a computer can do. But she has one of those, and she really likes it. But as far as um, having one of those uh, smartphones on the street plug into your face where you're enslaved and anxious every second, I don't know. Um, maybe it's just my um, my shallowness, of which there is uh, a great there is a great depth to my shallowness. <laughs> my shallowness knows uh, knows no bounds. Um, I don't. I I just don't like. I just don't want to be one of the crowd. I never wanted to be one of the crowd. I mean, as a result, of course, I'm totally isolated. So it's always an extreme with me. But I don't want to be one of those people who walks around on the street. Um, um, hypnotized, utterly hypnotized to the point of ignoring all of life and everybody else around them uh, to stare into the machine. I, I, I ask, I see myself, uh, I hear myself asking myself, I hear myself asking myself a thousand times a day when I'm walking around, is it, what could, the, could these people possibly be staring at so intently on that screen? Uh, what could they possibly be listening to every second of their lives walking around? I have no idea. There is something terribly off about it. <laughs> now, you know, I mean, walking around New York City, New York City, um, I, I don't know. When I say New York City, I mean Manhattan because I never leave Manhattan for various reasons. Um, so I mean Manhattan. Manhattan, most of Manhattan, when you walk around Manhattan, it actually, a lot of it is not worth paying attention to. In fact, it's probably a good idea to ignore a lot of what your five senses are subject to in Manhattan, just to keep your sanity. So for that reason alone, I can understand plugging into something that you choose, or at least you think you're choosing, uh, to isolate out as something that's entertaining or worthwhile or necessary. Um, it's just... It's just that odd, it's like, to me, it's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Did you ever see that movie from the 50s? I think they probably made a remake. I don't know. <clears throat> Somebody will know, right? You can use a computer to find out. Google, is there, a, there was, I think, uh, a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But the one I'm talking about came out when I was a kid, I think in 1956, when all those um, outer space movies and Terror from the Deep movies were coming out, Aliens. <clears throat> Um, an invasion of the body snatchers, human beings were replaced with um, uh, with uh, alien creatures. And what happened was there was a sort of a pod, speaking of pods, podcasts. The original podcasts were uh, creatures from outer space. The creatures from outer space uh, would... Um, would somehow infest. They would find their way next to any particular human. This happened in a small town, and um, now, of course, it spread to the entire uh, the entire country. But it happened in a little town and somewhere anywhere USA. You know, have you been to anywhere USA or everywhere USA? And um, the um, the alien space creatures multiplied in some way. And that what they would do is get into somebody's house and uh, or garage. And they would um, become an, an exact replica of this person, except that they were soulless alien creatures. So that when 
uh, and then they would get rid of the uh, the human creature. They would murder them or get rid of them or disappear them in some alien way. And uh, then they would take over their lives, except they talk like this. They had no souls. They had no personalities. <laughs> That's what I feel like I'm seeing when everybody is walking around, staring at this machine in their hand or plugged into something all the time. Like I said, but it's, it's all contradictory. Like everything else I say, it's complete contradictions. And is it hypocrisy? That would be a nasty word, but at least contradictions. Because, as I say, uh, I am overwhelmed and bombarded by the insane materialistic ugliness of Manhattan, uh, which I'm sure many other people have been before. But So um, why not escape into it? I really don't know. Anyhow, I wasn't here live last week. I'm sorry I was not here live last week. I had uh, cataract surgery, and I just wasn't up to it. Cataract surgery in my right eye. This is a funny old-fashioned word, cataract. You know, you think of a, of a rushing uh, part of a mountain stream or, um, or a waterfall. Anyhow, cataract surgery in my right eye. I had my left eye done about 10 years ago. And my right eye had gotten so bad over the last few months that it was like there was a, like a white film over my eye. Not that you could see it, but uh, from my point of view, from inside out, I wasn't able to read a clock face across the room. I couldn't read um, street signs uh, out on the street, big, large street signs. I couldn't read them. And everything was jumping around and filmy and hard to see. Um, so I went ahead and did it. And uh, it's very strange that they they can take out they, you know, they... They can put a man on the moon, but they can't cure cancer. They. You know who they are. We all know who they are. A conglomeration of um, government, uh, people who run the government and run corporations and scientists. That's they. They can do this, but they can't do that. When are they ever going to do this, for God's sake? Now, it is strange. They can take out, they take out a malfunctioning, diseased part of your eye and replace it with a new part. It's, to, to me, it's like a miracle. It's miraculous. I mean, there was a time, obviously. I don't know when they started this kind of surgery. Um, <clears throat> they probably had some primitive version of it uh, in the 19th century. Uh, that's when they started to do all kinds of experiments with, um, with surgery. But there were some things they couldn't do, of course. But uh, they began to open people up or scrape this off or fix that or sew that in the 19th century. That's when it all started. But I don't know when, when uh, they actually started doing cataract surgery where they took out a part of your eye and put it in a new, they put in a new lens. So, um, <clears throat> and, and the creepy, scary part is you're awake for this procedure. You're awake for the surgery. So while the doctor is opening a part of your eye and taking a part out, and putting a new part in, you're wide awake. Well, you're not, you're not totally wide awake. And the anesthesiologist is there giving you a little intravenous what-me-worry juice, you know, to reduce anxiety. <sighs> now, I can't say that I deliberately want to have surgery so that I get into a twilight sleep. That's a great, word, great phrase for that, right? Twilight sleep. That, the, that I will get opioids of one kind or another or something... This is not sedatives where they make you tired or they put you out. This is something where you're awake, but you're feeling no pain, no intellectual or emotional or moral pain. 
You're just floating. You're floating on a beautiful pool of, uh, and you could go on, right? So, and I love that stuff. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not deliberately getting surgery. But anytime I get, anytime I've had um, surgery or uh, some procedure or test where I had to uh, at least go into a hospital temporarily for a few hours. Um, um, the only thing, of course, that, you know, I mean, the rest of the, all of it is really uncomfortable or scary or potentially dangerous, and you don't know what the results will be. But the only thing I look forward to is going into a twilight sleep. It doesn't last that long. Uh, if you're going to go out completely, if they're putting you out, the twilight sleep only lasts a little while, like a few seconds. Um, but if you're in something where where they're... Uh, you know, they're not going to cause you a tremendous amount of pain, like this cataract surgery. You know, you can float for a while. And I, 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 I'd be happy if I was, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be happy addicted to opioids, but uh, I could really understand it. There was a time when I was partially. Can you be partially addicted to things? I guess so. Where I was partially addicted to uh, Percocets. I, I, I would be happy if I could walk around with a machine, a pump, and there are such things, right? that pumped a small, steady flow of that stuff into my body and brain all day long. Opioid addiction. But, of course, you'd have to pay the bill for it. But, you know, at a certain point, they say this about people, when you get to be a certain age, there are cures that, are, um, that have all kinds of awful side effects. But, uh, and people say, well, you know, I'm not going to live that long, and I don't want to be suffering that badly from whatever illness or disease it is. So give me this stuff. Give me, uh, give me painkillers, and I won't be able, you know, I w- I'll have all kinds of side effects from it. They won't be as bad as the pain I'm in. I heard of somebody the other day who is in constant, pa- constant serious pain, and they installed somehow some kind of pump that uh, apportions a certain amount of uh, opioids all day long. Anyhow, so you're awake. You're awake where the man is operating on your eye, right? And about two-thirds of the way through the procedure, uh, while I'm awake and, uh, you know, I'm not saying anything. I don't want to move. I'm being very careful. I've been instructed not to move, of course. You don't want to be moving. So you're awake, and you can see out of that eye, but you don't really see anything. All you see is a couple of um, weird lights and some odd jumpings around. But you know, you're aware of the fact that the man is in there with um, instruments, with a knife. And he's taking something out and putting something in your eye, right? And about two-thirds of the way through the procedure, somebody in the room, and it was a small room and there were several people in it, bumped into the table I was on. (laughs) They bumped into the table and I could feel it, right? And I was trying to stay still. And the guy says to me, um, stay still, Michael. He uses his first name. This is our relationship, right? With doctors, um, I guess you're lying there like that. He's not going to say Mr., Right. Or Miss or Ms. Anyhow, uh, I'm about 20 years older than him, but he feels uh, it's okay with him to say uh, Michael. And I have to call him doctor. So right away, this establishes the relationship between you and the doctor. The doctor is your parent. And I think a lot of people want that. Um, they don't want that because it reminds them of a time, if you had this, when you were a little kid and you couldn't take care of yourself and... Uh, Things seem unknown. Things would happen to you, cause you pain or discomfort or fear, and your mommy and daddy would take care of you. So you know the doctor. Doctors often will call you by your first name, and you call them uh, doctor or dad or mom. 
Anyhow, somebody bumps into the table. Some idiot bumps into the table. And uh, he says, be quiet. Be still. Can you be still, please? Uh, anyhow. Um, it's over. That was last week. That's what we could. I immediately could see better uh, with my, um, with my uh, right eye, the one they operated on. I mean, immediately better, clearer. Uh, I probably don't even need a prescription for it anymore, which makes for complications. It takes about, um, I mean, I could see things uh, clearly now. I could see street signs. I could see, I can read the clock from across the room. I can read, and I can read the newspaper. I wasn't even able to read the newspaper very well before, although the print is uh, the size of a microbe. But um, I couldn't hardly read it anyhow. Now I can read it. I can see my wife's beautiful face clearly again. And uh, maybe that's worth it all. Yes, I think. Anyhow, it is, like I say, it's like a miracle. But I have to wait a month now. I have to wait about a month till my uh, right eye is healed and I get a new prescription. So in the interim, I'm using about three or four different, uh, three or four different glasses. Um, uh, some prescriptions work from the old ones, some don't. But uh, soon I'll get new glasses and everything will be just perfect. Everything would be just perfect. <clears throat> uh, so much of this scientific technological advancement is so marvelous. It's so miraculous. It's wonderful. But so much of it is frightening and destructive. Uh, even, I think, when it comes all wrapped up in the guise of uh, speed, you know, uh, increased speed, connection, convenience, all these things in general, the culmination of the good life that comes with uh, progress, progress. There's a couple of things, a couple of articles I noticed uh, during my um, <clears throat> convalescence. I was looking at the newspaper. Um, here's an article that was entitled, Amazon Knows Why Alexa Was Laughing at Its Customers. You're all familiar with who Alexa is. Um, <clears throat> Alexa is the, um, I don't know what the phrase is. I mean, there is some phrase for it. But a digital, and a disembodied digital servant in a way. You give Alexa orders, uh, which, of course, could lead to anything, but let's not go into that right now. You give Alexa orders. Um, it's a, a little sort of cylindrical machine or device that you set somewhere in, in, in a room or in your room, and you just give it orders. You say you, And uh, Google has this, too, something called Google Home, which doesn't have a name. There's somebody else called Siri, and I'm not sure who, that, who, who Siri is. But uh, Alexa... I guess they decided to give it a, a woman's name. I don't know why. Uh, is this not good for the women's movement? How come they don't call it um, Gary? <laughs> or, uh, you know, or Bob or um, Butch. But they call it Alexa. And they call it Alexa. So th this thing is called Alexa. And you say, Alexa, turn on the lights, turn on the music, play this song, play that song, find me this uh, Search Google and find out. You don't have to do anything. You just sit there like a lump, and you just use your voice. Uh, soon they'll figure out how to put a chip in your head where you won't have to even use. You won't have to go to the extreme difficulty and, um, and trouble of actually speaking. You'll just think, Alexa, uh, boil me some eggs or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, the, I guess they're all the same. Google Home. My son has Google Home. Google Home is uh, also a little tiny miniature tower or uh, box, and you talk to it, and you say, <clears throat> he says, turn, on, turn the thermostat up, turn the thermostat down, uh, turn it to 68, 
Turn it to uh, turn it to uh, you know eighty two. Open the garage doors. You know, uh, turn on the stove at uh, at uh, this amazing right. The modern world. The modern world. But anyhow, here's this article. Um, Amazon <clears throat> knows why Alexa was laughing at its customers. Um, and this is um, by a reporter named Niraj Chokshi, probably from India. I love these names, Niraj Chokshi. Yeah, it says, for weeks, users of Amazon's digital assistant, there it is right in front of me, for weeks, users of Amazon's digital assistant, Alexa, have reported versions of the same unsettling event, being startled as they went about their day by Alexa letting out an eerie laugh. <laughs> you understand, this is something, this is a robot. This is a software, artificial intelligence, it's called, robot, that's supposed to work for you, do what you ask it to do. And that's it, right? Shades of the Terminator. Alexa, the machine, uh, the software, the digital assistant, is letting out an eerie laugh. Now Amazon says that it knows why that's been happening and is working to fix the problem. Absolutely, of course. <clears throat> they created Alexa. They have to fix the problem. Just like God. God created the heavens and the earth and men and women and doggies and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the NRA. God created all these things and the insects and bugs and uh, Noah. And uh, then he got tired of it all. He just got tired of it all. He got bored. You know, he got bored playing poker with uh, Satan or whatever it was. Remember he got bored playing poker with Satan? Or he was playing poker with Satan and uh, they, they took a bet on whether the holiest man in the world was really that holy. And then you have the story of Job. So God, occasionally God gets bored and um, or takes a vacation and doesn't put anybody in charge, not even Alexa, right? So, so anyhow, um, um God, uh, God uh, got bored. So uh, what happened was that um, um, in rare instances, this is what Amazon says about Alexa. In rare instances, uh, Alexa can mistakenly hear the phrase Alexa laugh when other words were spoken. Amazon said in an email statement, in other words, uh, you didn't say for this uh, in artificial intelligence, for this little digital robot to laugh. Uh, but it's what you might have said, uh, fry an egg, or it hears words sometimes. Maybe you're not even addressing it directly. I'm not sure. I think that people have had experiences where they weren't addressing it. You have to say the thing. Should I say her? You have to say her name before she will do anything, before she's capable of doing anything, one hopes. Um, but there are instances, I think, also where um, you don't say the name, and it starts to do she or starts to do something. Maybe you don't want her to do it, but she starts doing it, plays a song, or uh, selects something, or maybe turns on the stove. This could be very bad, but meanwhile, you have to say the name. So apparently, uh, she was hearing Alexa laugh when some other words were spoken. And Amazon says, we are changing that phrase to, to be, Alexa, can you laugh? Which is less likely to have false positives. Yeah positives. Why don't they speak English? And we are disabling the short utterance, Alexa laugh. It's like uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, when when, uh, when the machine took over everything. That was, when was that? It was 19, 
in the 1960s or early 70s, that terrific uh, movie they made out of the book uh, Childhood's End by Arthur Clarke. Uh, and uh, you know they went out into space, way out into space, and the computer on board, HAL, decided it, you know, it was smart enough that it knew what it was doing, had its own morals, had its own emotions, and it decided that the humans were too infallible and uh, went about murdering them all and taking over the uh, spaceship. So they had to disable it, and it was fascinating to see it be disabled. It was tricky to disable it. Anyhow, so they've decided that uh, they're disabling the short utterance Alexa laugh. The company also said that instead of simply laughing when asked, the digital assistant, which is accessible through its line of Echo and Fire devices, will first acknowledge the request, saying, Sure, I can laugh. (laughs) This stuff is so bizarre. Uh, I mean, does Alexa cry? Can you say Alexa cry? And uh, can it breathe heavily? Can it scream in ecstasy? Alexa, uh, uh, you know, sound like you're having an orgasm. Alexa, uh, cry from the bottom of your little brainless artificial heart. Alexa, you know. Um, I'm sure people say all kinds of things to Alexa when they're alone with Alexa all day long. I mean, there are robots. I'm sure there are. The Japanese were very big on this. I don't know if they still are. They were building uh, robots. This is the sexist world, right? They were building robots of, of beautiful uh, uh, female-looking robots. And uh, they were designed to serve and uh, to have sex with their owners. And uh, who knows where all this stuff is going and what will happen. But it's obvious you know, where all this could go. Um, <clears throat> what I don't understand here, I mean, there's more to this article, too. Um, what I don't understand here is, well, let me read the rest of this article. Let me. Like, you could help it, right? One user said on Twitter, one user of Alexa, said that he was talking to his sister when he heard his device laugh. <laughs> his, there's song lyrics in here somewhere. Uh, when I heard somebody call my name. When he's talking to his sister when he heard his device laugh. He had stopped the conversation and began searching online for an explanation of what, he had, just occur- of what had just occurred. Finding nothing, he asked Alexa to repeat the last sound she had made. Another Twitter user reported being startled by Alexa's laugh, at first thinking there was a child in the room. Creepy, right? The episode underscored the concerns swirling around Echo and other smart speakers like Google Home, which often sit in intimate intimate spaces awaiting a call for action. Critics have argued that the always-on devices pose a threat to privacy and security. You think? (laughs) There have been reports of children ordering items through the devices without parental consent. Alexa, send me an AR-15 with uh, 42 loaded clips. Okay, fine, I will. I'll order it right now. Um, Despite these concerns, the technology has been widely embraced. Reports vary on just how many Americans use such devices, but all suggest that adoption is relatively high. On Tuesday, for example, the polling organization Gallup and Northeastern University reported that about one in five American adults, one in five American adults, chronological adults, uses an intelligent home device. I guess I have a stupid home um, or run-of-the-mill home, such as Alexa, Google, Google Home, or other competing device. Amazon sold tens of millions 
of Alexa devices during the recent holiday season, this past holiday season, with analysts saying that the Echo accounts for more than 70% of smart speaker sales. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Uh, progress. This is progress, right? Um, here's another article about uh, progress. Here's another article about progress. Um, it says here, in one tweet, Kylie Jenner, whoever the fuck that is, wiped out $1.3 billion of SNAP's market value. Sometimes, um, I mean, I'm so far behind in all this stuff that uh, I don't even understand the language that's used to explain things that I don't understand. So um, uh, here, um, and I'm sure that some of you know what SNAP is. SNAP is one of these things like Instagram, or is that right? Yeah, SNAP is like Instagram, and it's like... um, it's like WhatsApp. It's like all these the general things like Facebook, Instant Messenger. It's a way of instantly communicating with somebody else, but maybe you use um, photographs or other information, and you can instantly communicate with people um, and tell them what you just ate or what you just perhaps threw up or uh, how old the baby is or how cute the baby is. Take a look. See? So all these things. Anyhow, uh, this human, uh, I guess this is a human being named Kylie Jenner, wiped out $1.3 billion of SNAP's market value with one tweet. This is so perfect. And this is an article from Bloomberg.com. SNAP Incorporated's flagship platform has lost some luster, at least according to one social media influencer in the Kardashian-Jenner clan. Okay, the Kardashian-Jenner clan. Shares of the Snapchat parent company sank 6.1% on Thursday, wiping out $1.3 billion in market value on the heels of a tweet on Wednesday from Kylie Jenner, <clears throat> who said she doesn't open the app anymore. Whether it's the demands of her newfound motherhood, I guess Kylie Jenner had a child, or the recent app redesign, the testament drew similar replies from her 24 point million followers. Donald Trump has 40 million followers. Kylie Jenner has 24.5 million followers. Uh, Think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Think of um, Night of the Living Dead. Soulless creatures. Soulless creatures walking. They're animated. They move their limbs. They walk. They look. They can talk. But they have no souls. These are 24.5 million followers. We will follow you, Kylie, wherever you go. Anyhow, um, so Snapchat is one of these things that... uh, sends uh, something that you think is important instantly to a million people or for 24.5 million people. Um, anyhow, you know who... So here's... I, of course, I have no idea who Kylie Jenner is, so I look it up on Wikipedia because everything is uh, technology and everything is referred to by everything else. Kylie Kristen Jenner, who was born August 10th, 1997, is an American reality television personality just like our president. She is a model, entrepreneur, a model, and an entrepreneur, a socialite, and a social media personality. She has starred in the E! reality television series Keeping Up with the Kardashians since 2007 and has an eponymous brand of uh, cosmetics. This is Kylie Jenner. In 2012, she collaborated with the clothing brand PacSun, 
along with her sister Kendall, and created a line of clothing, Kendall and Kylie. <laughs> In 2015, Jenner launched her own cosmetics line called Kylie Cosmetics and a mobile app that reached number one on the iTunes App Store. In 2014 and 15, Time Magazine listed the Jenner sisters on their list of the most influential teens in the world. God help us all. Uh, <clears throat> used to be, um, used to be uh, Archie. <laughs> Archie and Betty and Veronica. And uh, what was his name? Meathead? Mudhead? I don't forget. It's Jughead. Anyhow, they, they were, uh, Kylie Jenner has been one of the most, or is one of the most influential teens in the world, <clears throat> citing their considerable influence among teens on social media. So apparently there are 24 point million teens and a couple of um, very disturbed grownups who are followers of Kylie Jenner. As of 2018, with over 100 million followers, what? Let me say this again here. Let me read this again. As of 2018, with over a hundred million followers, she's one of the top ten most followed people on Instagram. So Snapchat, Instagram, a hundred million people are following Kylie Jenner on Instagram. What is there to follow? Anyhow, 2017, Jenner was placed on the Forbes Celebrity 100 list, making her the youngest person to be featured on the list. Jenner, of course, starred in her own spinoff series, uh, Life of Kylie, which premiered on E! Network on August 6, 2017. So this person, Kylie Jenner, <clears throat> who is basically famous for being famous and for nothing else of any substance whatsoever, um, has 100 million followers. And because she sent out a tweet, uh, you know, a small number of words on Twitter, on her Twitter account, where she probably has... Um, she probably has 25 million followers there. Uh, she was able to cause a major technology stock listed on the stock exchange to lose $1.3 billion overnight, probably within an hour. This is the world we live in now. This is the world we live in now. That some, I have never seen her. I have never listened to her. So if I insult her, it's not right because I don't even know who this person is. I mean, for all I know, She's an extremely charming, engaging, intelligent, good-hearted person. What are the odds? I have no idea. Probably not so good. Anyhow, um, uh, so this person is... This is, what, this is what our society is like now, that this person could cause this to happen overnight, right? That this is, this is what happens. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> and here's another article, and I only can read you part of this. I know reading articles is not the favorite thing for you to hear on, the, on this show. Um, and this is right after the high school shooting uh, in Florida. Uh, and it says here, it's, this is from New York Magazine, it's time to end trending. In the wake of last year's, last week's Parkland high school shooting, right-wing conspiracy theorists were pushing the ludicrous story that the teenage survivors speaking out against gun violence were crisis actors. This is a particularly, this dupes hired to pretend to be victims of tragedy. Hired by who? People who hate guns, who want to get rid of your right as an American to bear arms and shoot any animal and person that you wish to because it's your right under the Constitution to be an asshole with a gun. Who was that who said all those things? 
Earlier this morning, like I say, this is only a week after the high school shooting, the top trending video on YouTube, the trending video on YouTube, was one implying that David Hogg, one of the students pushing for legislative action on gun control, is an actor. Is an actor. This was something that happened. Two, over 200,000 uh, people um, chose or followed or selected this YouTube, which was posted by... Um, some twisted right-wing asshole saying that this is, this is the thing they believe, that like uh, Sandy Hook and all these places, uh, the church shooting in Texas, the nightclub shooting in Florida, all these things were staged, that all these people were never killed, they were never shot. This is an elaborate staged thing by some shady agency of the government and uh, by some international conspiracy against Americans owning guns. And there are people who probably believe this, uh, and even if they don't believe it, uh, they are bored enough and witless enough to uh, to watch this video and comment on it that uh, that these people at uh, Parkland High School, um, Parkland High School, yeah, were actors, and uh, they were, and the guy involved here wasn't even real at all. And um, just to skip through this article here, um, it's time to end trending. And the uh, reporter says, "What does it mean exactly for something to be trending?" YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter all make frequent use of the term, but none of them has a public transparent or transparent definition, let alone a common one. Uh, It could be the latest thing, uh, the most popular thing. Um, Trending is something that is a combination of what is the latest, what people want to see instantly or hear instantly because somebody else did. It's it's kind of like the madness of crowds, right? Um, Automated software determines what is trending. In other words, human beings don't, there's no human being sitting at uh, Snap app or What's Face or whatever, and there's nobody sitting there saying, this is really serious or this is really interesting or there might be something to that. And, you know, going over to the next desk and saying, hey, Bob, hey, Alexa, what do you think about this? And so you have maybe two people who have some sense of morality or have some intellect and they're saying, well, this is something important I think that people should know about, or maybe, no, it's a bunch of algorithms. These are a bunch of things that were programmed long ago by somebody who may not know about what's happening or didn't know, of course, couldn't know what the future is going to be. It's programmed. Uh, An algorithm, a set of numbers and formulas programmed into some software somewhere by somebody who maybe has no interest in what's going on or doesn't, it's like on Facebook, you know, which I have learned to tune in. I learned to, ch- to tune into Facebook maybe once every week now. I'm, I'm headed for this. Is like I'm I'm tapering off Facebook completely and utterly. There's no point in ever being on Facebook. Talk about trending. Talk about wasting your time. Talking about insane superficial nonsense. But I've been hooked on it like everybody else in the country. There's apparently to everybody else in the world. There's two. I think there's two billion people. Um, roughly, you know, somewhere near um, a fourth or something like that, between a third and a fourth of the human race is on Facebook. Why? (laughs) Why? It's the emperor's new clothes. It's the Wizard of Oz. What is Facebook? If If Facebook disappeared overnight, if there was suddenly no Facebook whatsoever, would it make any difference at all to the way your life works 
or the way the country works or the world works or anything at all. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. There is nothing on Facebook that is actually worth anything. So it's an amazing cultural institution. What it represents is the overwhelming popularity of nothing. It is a way that people can be in touch with each other. Well, there are plenty of other ways, I suppose, too. But there's something so overwhelmingly superficial and empty and meaningless about Facebook. It's just a lot of chatter. And yet this chatter has been raised to the level of something that is a compulsion for most people. And I guess I'm including myself until I'm completely off it. It's an astounding thing. Anyhow, trending. So uh, the uh, trending um, uh, YouTube, for instance, on YouTube, once again, this is automatic software that determines this. No human, uh, nobody with a sense of morals or intellect or even a group of uh, humans determines what uh, a lot of people should see on their platform, right? Uh, something programmed uh, maybe uh, a year or two years ago somewhere or in, um, for who knows, you know, like in some little um, uh, cubicle in an office at Amazon or YouTube. YouTube, for instance, identifies trending videos by examining aspects like the view count, the rate of audience growth, and the age of content. What's happening here is, and I'm not going to read this whole thing because I know you don't want me to, uh, to read it all, but um, this whole thing about trending is that um, the algorithm... Uh, based on what uh, human beings decided to uh, shape it into a program in it, the algorithm determines the algorithm determines what's popular. So trending is basically what's popular. What's popular may not have any meaning whatsoever. Usually doesn't, um, or it may be something evil or stupid. But as long as everybody's doing it, then it becomes something that everybody should do. It's a circular world unto its own stupid self. That's what trending is. When, like trending has always been trending. When I was a teenager in my neighborhood and in a lot of neighborhoods all over the country, it was trending to refer to black people as niggers. That was trending. Uh, that had been going on a long time, but it was definitely trending. It was also uh, trending to smoke cigarettes, beat up homosexuals, uh, consider women as nothing but uh, bitches and vehicles for having sex. That was all trending. It was popular. The popular imagination, the popular mind has no imagination. There was a phrase used in one of these articles, the popular imagination. The popular mind, the popular mind has no imagination at all. That's something that only a human has. The popular mind, the mob, the crowd, the public, almost always has no brain function at all. It acts on impulse and imitation. Um, think of crowds that are carried away, lynch mobs, anything that beats up people for no reason. They don't even know why they're doing it. Crowds that surge back and forth, that trample people at, uh, at games. They don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. A crowd has no mind. It has no moral. It has no heart. Uh, it acts on impulse and imitation, and it follows whatever seems flashiest or loudest or whatever seems to present, I'd say, the greatest opportunity for immediate gratification or mindless vengeance or hostility. This is what goes on all the time on YouTube and all these other places, and it's out of control. It could be controlled by the people who own these things, these billionaires, multi-billionaires. Uh, lots of things have been trending in, the, in time. I mean, um, slavery was once trending in the United States. That was popular in, in a large part of the country. And in, like, in the late 20s, let's say in the late 20, 1920s and 1930s, Hitler, Nazism was trending. It was definitely trending in Germany. Uh, and now 
um, nationalism, white nationalism, um, basically fascism and Nazism, is trending all over Europe, again, and in Russia. Bigotry, racism, anti-Semitism, violent nationalism, all of this is trending again. Uh, And mass murder and dictatorships, trending, trending all over the whole world. So what is trending? It's bullshit. Remember when you were a kid, uh, and I guess this was always true, I mean, however long there was a human society, how desperately, remember this, how desperately everybody wanted to be in the in crowd, to be popular? Remember this? And I'm sure it still goes on. I mean, there's a bunch of junior high school kids that uh, that uh, go back and forth uh, in front of my building. There's a couple of, uh, there's high schools and junior high schools, but especially these junior high school kids, you could see it with them. You could see that terrible loneliness and the yearning to be in the in crowd, or be, and it's even physical. You know, they're together almost like uh, puppies. They all sort of bang into each other and hold on to each other and scream and shout, you know, these 12 and 13-year-olds. And um, then there's always somebody who's lagging behind. And you could see how it works. I mean, uh, the better-looking uh, kids, the more athletic kids, the ones who are sort of better put together, uh, at least physically, uh, are the ones who are generally popular. This is how this is how skin deep all this popularity was. Um, the, the very concept of popular and populism is founded on mindless ignorance. Uh, it really is. The age of Trump and tweeting, right? What's popular? Trump has forty million followers for his tweet account. It's popular. It's trending. The bird brains. The country's mass mind. Uh, is having no more intellectual acuity and depth than a flock of pigeons does right now. It's obvious that technology makes all this worse in every way. Um, But, you know, I shouldn't be such a hypocrite. I shouldn't be such a hypocrite. I've always had an ambivalent attitude towards machines. And even any kind of change. I mean, if you listen to me, you know that I hate any kind of change. And I've said it before. And to my detriment, I mean, you know, I'm petrified. I'm like a dinosaur. Change scares me. And that happens with old people, but it's been it's worse with me. I've always been like that, uh, especially now. Like I say, like I'm an old geezer. I mean, I, and so fear of distrust, uh, fear and distrust uh, of machines, fear of change. Uh, it's a bad combination, especially in the world the way it is right now. Uh, and there's a lot of contradiction here, like I mentioned earlier in the show. Hypocrisy. I mean, I use lots of machines and software. I I couldn't you know do my radio show without it. I use a Kindle e-reader. I use a Kindle uh, because I can't up until now. Maybe I can read again because my eyes have been fixed. For years, I haven't been able to read um, regular print, so I can't read regular books, and I have trouble with the newspaper. So I use a Kindle where I enlarge the uh, font. And if I couldn't use this electronic device, this technological improvement, I couldn't read at all. And I use an iPod. I do, uh, to listen to audio books, and I watch things on TV, on my smart TV, which is not so smart. I have to get a new TV because my TV is a little dumb, apparently. And this radio show, this radio show, podcast, the radio show itself, I could never have done a radio show or do this radio show with so much of modern technology. I mean, I I copy articles online. I, uh, I go to YouTube to find music, and then we play that music here. I mean, radio itself from the very beginning, and certainly up until now, including now, it's a technological improvement. Also, a digital camera. I've had a digital camera for uh, for many years now, and um, I used to I used to have a regular camera. You know, where uh, maybe people, if you're young enough, of course, you may not even remember. 
anybody having a regular camera. This is probably an antique now, a collectible antique. Used to be boys and girls before digital cameras, before you could just press the button anytime you want, as many times as you wanted, as long as the camera was charged. You had to buy film. Yes, this is what happened. Listen to this now. This is from an old, from an old guy in the rocking chair. You had to go buy film at a store. They used to have uh, camera and film stores. You buy film, came in a, like a spool, a little capsule, <clears throat> a spool, and you open up the little um, container, take out the spool of film, open up the back of the camera, <clears throat> thread the film in, get it set up, and you could take a limited number of pictures, 20 or 36 on a roll, <clears throat> and um, then you would bring it in to the, to the, um, the film developing store, and you would have to wait three days, five days, a week before they got around to doing yours. And uh, they either had their own lab or they sent it out. And then you would, and you would come back and you would get your prints. And there was a certain anticipation involved. There was a certain anticipation involved. I mean, the idea of waiting, you didn't have to, you didn't have to have it, you couldn't have it instantly. You had to wait. You had to wait. And, um, but uh, like now, there's no excitement and there's no anticipation. Everything is instantaneous. So you could take a thousand pictures. They could be interesting pictures. They could be pictures of something tragic or funny or cute. Could be your uh, grandchild. Could be your uh, your husband or your wife. It could be something fascinating. You see, I mean, anybody can take any picture anytime. You could take a thousand pictures. What it does, though, uh, all this convenience and all this um, all this improvement in what you can do, <clears throat> it takes away. Even the, the tactile sense of things. It used to be when you went to pick up prints, and I think a lot of you will remember this because a, a lot of old geezers listen to this old geezer. You, um, you, you would, you're excited to go pick them up. You open up this package and you took out the prints to see how they came out and what came out. Some didn't come out sometimes. And there they were. It was the very anticipation and the actual physical handling of the prints in your hand, uh, that tactile sense that made it seem realer. And, of course, uh, <clears throat> I take all kinds of medicines, which, uh, I mean, just uh, my, my uh, procedure for the cataract the other day. It was, um, it was uh, astounding. I mean, uh, I take advantage of all this technological stuff. But does that mean that, uh, that I should just not point out what I see as the, the great losses everywhere? I mean, um, what, what is lost with all these things? I mean, Google has an intelligent camera now. It decides. It decides what it can take a picture of. Um, and it decides, um, you know, uh, because it's been programmed, it decides what's exciting or interesting. You have nothing to do with it. What's missing about the Google camera, for instance, is, first of all, human participation in getting the image so that in the end, no matter how beautiful or moving, it will mean less because a human being was not directly involved. That's part of the problem. Humans are taking out, are taking out Alexa, Google camera, Snapchat, Instagram, overnight technology. You're taking, human beings are taking out, are being taken out of the equation rapidly. We're headed straight towards the Terminator. And we, uh, we have a candidate, a man who gets elected, an idiot, a moral fool, and an idiot and a clown and a bully and, um, and a sexist asshole, racist too. That's who's the president now. And this has a lot to do with the kind of technology we have. And with all this communication and all this, especially communication, um, it all started with the phone, I guess, but now it's, you know, every kind of phone. You get, you're looking, look, what you're looking at is the final elimination of privacy. 
the ability to merely exist without being taped, recorded, or captured for posterity. That's it. Life doesn't become less fragile or less fleeting if we have 24-7 audio and visual of everything and everyone. It doesn't stop death. Artificial intelligence cannot stop aging. Alexa can't stop you from aging. As far as anyone knows, uh, nobody can text from here to the hereafter or from the hereafter to here. And more abstractly and perhaps even more importantly, we're in the process of eliminating or at least appearing to eliminate mystery from life, emptiness, the pauses of life, the parts of life that are just as elemental as fullness and activity. Um, it's just, that's the way it is. But, um, and the thing about radio, radio itself, what always fascinated me, about, fascinated me about radio, since the first time I ever heard it back in the 1950s when I listened to Bob and Ray and live radio like Gene Shepard and Long John Nebel, what fascinated me about uh, live radio, just like live theater, was <clears throat> that it was like breath itself. It was completely in the present. Each breath, each word is unique and unrepeatable. A world unto itself, carrying all of life in it, each breath, then it's gone. It's the fleeting essence of all natural things. Each breath, each flower, each ripple in a stream is original and completely alive. And then it's gone. And that right there is at the heart of its beauty. What machines have to do with this process I don't know, but I really feel that the loss of nature and of humanity that accompanies all this technological progress is a loss of life itself. floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils beside the lake beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee, a poet could not but be gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. 
For oft, when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. That we can get down to what is really wrong. 